mini episode 1523 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1523. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you. And I have with me here today one of my favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my longtime friend Jake Digman. I was just reminiscing with him off air a second ago here about the old Sports Talk Network days and all that we did and saw back there. And uh, it's always great to be talking to Jake either on air or off. And uh, we have been talking with Jake a lot the last several years, uh, principally in the areas of MMA and pro wrestling, although we don't put any limitations on it. This is the show where anything's off topic, but... With Jake, these tend to be the kind of things we come back to uh, the most here uh, because of his great interest and knowledge in both of these. And uh, I don't know exactly when was going to be the next time we were going to be looking to do something wrestling-wise. We do tend to focus at certain points on the calendar. But then you, you have to be able to pivot in life. You have to be able to adjust. And even though we hadn't necessarily conceived of doing anything in the month of September, reality forced our hand. In the, force, uh, in, in the form of CM Punk's gripe bomb, if you want to call it that, at the uh, media scrum post All Out 2022 and everything that followed the backstage brawl, suspensions, legal action, allegations of leaking, all these types of things. Who bit Kenny Omega? It's the, uh, the, the biggest uh, question out there since who shot JR in 1980. All this and much, much more we'll be tackling with my good friend Jake Digman. Uh, Jake, uh, how, how is that for uh, one of the most ludicrous setups I've ever given you? That was pretty good. I mean, I, it's going to be very hard for me to live up to those lofty expectations you just said. I'm going to do my absolute best to try. It's always a pleasure to come hang out in, in the lounge with you, my friend. And I guess you could say, you know, uh, this past weekend... Uh, uh, life super kicked its way through the door, and here we are with our uh, the state of AEW Part Two, or, or it could be what the uh, the distate. Uh, I don't know. It's the, the the word we can we can use to describe what's going on. But um, I guess you know we were talking about this a little bit from last year's All Out to this year's All Out. What a difference! What, anything could quote an old WWE promo from back in one of the WrestleManias. Anything can happen in a year. Well, yeah, and it's funny because some of the things that have happened over the course of the year uh, could could almost be, I'm not going to say anticipated because I'm not going to do 2020 hindsight here, but AEW over the course of the last year and when you and I were forecasting them to keep going up in the ratings and potentially even nip at the heels of Raw at some point, in fairness, that was when Vince was still running the show in WWE, another thing we didn't see coming with him stepping down. But we thought they'd have a full deck. And you go as far back as All Out 2021, it was originally supposed to be the culmination of the Hangman Adam Page uh, quest for the world title against Kenny Omega. Uh, Hangman was having his son being born, asked for time off, got time off, that got punted down the road to full gear. 
but when you look at what happened over the course of the year, uh, of course CM Punk's two big injuries this year, uh, and then uh, you, you had uh, John Moxley being out, going to uh, alcohol rehab for a couple of months, that was unforeseen, and a number of other injuries over a period of time that kept them from being at a full deck. We knew Kenny Omega was going to be down once he dropped the title, because he was basically beat to death anyways with multiple serious injuries at that point. So you knew he was going to be out. But in retrospect, Hangman Adam Punk missing all out 2021, it, it, it almost, it, we, we look at uh, the, the big debuts that night, Adam Cole and then Brian Danielson and all the things that happened, Ruby Soho as well the same night. But in a way, Adam uh, uh, Page missing that show is almost more emblematic of what would happen to AEW over the next year because they never really had that full deck that you and I were looking for them to have. Uh, no, they didn't. And I mean, that's something that happens with you know over the course of time with um, professional wrestling. And uh, another name you also did mention there, Brian Danielson, who yes. came in that night. He also uh, fell into the injury bug. Yeah, and, I mean, he was out for several weeks. This um, summer, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, you could say that it all started there, but and that is true. Um, I don't disagree with what you were saying. It is. It's interesting though, where you go from. You know, uh, that was the debut of Punk, correct? Yes. All out last year. Okay. First, he'd been so on TV a couple times, but his first match against Darby Allen. Yes, sir. Darby Allen. Okay. So you go from that, and the situation with that, and the situation with. Um, you know, what was going on with Adam Page, and then, of course, I mean, right around that time is pretty much when we had the uh, the implosion of the Elite, Yeah. Uh, as far as, like, you know, with uh, Cody. I, I would like to think that it was right around that time where Cody kind of made up his mind that as soon as his contract was up, you know, he was bouncing ship. I don't think he decided that, like, the day before. Right, you know? right. And... As that you know, the the um, exit of Cody from AEW is really what started the, all of these wheels in motion because I think enough stuff is starting to come out. I know we're going to get into all of the uh, juicy details of what's going on. Um, looking with the benefit of hindsight, though, I think it's safe to say that Cody Rhodes was the one that was kind of like the level head that brought that more of you. Know, we were saying how we you know we enjoyed it. There was a little sprinkling of a, a little bit of a new Japan with a little sprinkling of old school Jim Crockett WCW feel to it. And there's other names that have come in and since now it has more of a Ring of Honor kind of feel, whatever, because they obviously own Ring of Honor. <laughs> half the uh, crowd or half the uh, roster has some sort of Ring of Honor ties. But you could kind of see the difference in the vision. And I know we say it's Tony Khan, but it's the ear, the people who are whispering in his ear. And as we found out, I mean, CM Punk wasn't whispering in his ear at the media scrum. He was pretty much yelling in his ear, giving yeah. him the what's up. And we'll get to that in a minute. But isn't it interesting that it all started with the exit of, um, you know, you got to ask yourself if Cody Rhodes is still in this company, would that have happened? I say no, but that's just me, you know? And he, took the, uh, the opportunity for to get out for, I'm sure he's getting paid a pretty penny to go north to, to WWE and also, not just, just much like his father did in the late late 80s, also not to deal with all of the, the hassle and the headaches. At least Cody didn't have to wear polka dots so yet. Well, yeah, although in the case of Dusty, and I made the comparison when Cody went up there as well, but for negative purposes, Dusty went there because he got run out of no now no longer Crockett Promotions, but the new WCW because uh, he wasn't right. going to be the booker man anymore. They might have been okay with him still being a wrestler, uh, but I think he would have been a lot closer to mid-card after all those years of where he was at. So he figured he'd take his chances in WWF at the time. 
versus with Cody, he had already been defrocked of any kind of booking power previously because famously in late 2019, Tony really kind of took the reins from the elite uh, after the one uh, debacle of a dark order uh, end to the episode that they tried to do that was just really bad. And uh, again, Cody, I, I was dubious until really the day it happened that he would end up leaving there. I just never bought the rumors. It never made sense. I couldn't see him being welcomed back with open arms. Uh, it is still remarkable to me to this day that Vince was pragmatic enough to do it and to allow him to get over as much as he did without going for whatever the 2022 equivalent of polka dots would have been. Uh, which probably would have been with uh, the Stardust paint, right? Get back in the paint, kid. Right. But uh, as far as all of that goes, you raise an excellent point that uh, Cody not being part of the mix probably had something to do with it and that it was one of these things where Punk had been a little snarky over a period of time. I think at StarCast and some other places before he came in, like, oh, the Bucks and Cody are like trying to sign me by text or whatever. And Cody later on, I guess, was like, that's not true. We... Tried to place phone calls to him as well, but we also texted him to gauge interest. But it's one of these things where you just, it's funny because Cody's final promo in AEW earlier this year before his final match in Cleveland, by the way, very interesting that both of the AEW unification matches for the interim and uh, regular titles were held in Cleveland. The TNT unification match, which was Cody's last in the company, the latter match where he did the J-O-B to Sammy on the way out the door, and the one you were at with Mox and Punk in Cleveland in April, or August for the world title. But I was at both of those shows. Oh, both of them. Okay, yeah. I was so at both of those shows. Bo both of the unification matches that we've seen were in Cleveland. A really weird accident of the calendar. But the promo that he did setting up the Cleveland match where he was going through and he was talking about, you know, somebody paving the, the way for a revolution and that, you know, Punk did that by being the revolutionary in WWE and talking his big game and whatever. But then, and he didn't include the Elite in this, but he very well could have. It's him and the Elite that actually went out and did it. And I've seen some, you know, talk recently here about if that ever really sat well with Punk because... I've seen it be portrayed that Punk came into a company that was built in his image. It's the kind of company that he wanted to exist, that he would have jumped to in 2014 when he got fired after he walked out, if it had existed then. But it existed because other people put the work in. Other people did the work, went up and down the road, primarily in New Japan, but also in this country as well, building up you know, Bullet Club, the Elite, laying the groundwork, all of these things, putting together all in 2018, the kind of entrepreneurial thing that, uh, with all due respect to CM Punk buying ice cream bars for an arena, uh, probably doesn't quite compare to uh, two years earlier with all in. Uh, but uh, you just you just wonder if that ever really sat well with him. And the thing is, is like he could have, at any point in time, been a part of it. They would have loved to have had him be a part of it, but he was so burned out on wrestling and I get that. I get that you don't want to be associated with it until you do. But it's a thing where he left a world that, that didn't have the likes of an AEW. And he came back to one where it was there. And he's got to know deep down in his heart, these guys are the guys that put the work in. I, I, I talked about the vision, like Cody said in the promo. But these guys are the guys that actually went out and did it. And I wonder if that sits well with him. I'm going to go with the... 
uh, a hard right on that. I don't think CM Punk really cares about that because I don't think he, and I, I hate to use this term, I don't think he's a mark for that sort of thing. I think the only person he really cares about there is the same person Chris Jericho cares about, and everybody else is looking at this as an opportunity for them, and that's Tony Khan. I don't I don't think from the very beginning, I, I, I mean, just based on what I've read, seen, and what had taken place after this, I don't think CM Punk gives to hoot for what the um for what the elite having the vision to go do what he you know i think he kind of views it as he they found a money mark and if the opportunity is there he's going to take advantage of it as well as other people have for good or bad because that's what you do at a job you know what i mean yeah i mean a job is you want to get paid the most that you can for it but at the same time also over the course of the past year, I think, you know, there has been a, even if you watch the show, it's kind of interesting, like the same, like, you know, there's like a group where like the elite guys will kind of work with their same people <laughs> a mm-hmm. little bit, like a lot. And then you have the, it's really, it's like separate, it's like separate hodgepodges of, a, of shows right. that are like, but one doesn't ever concurrently, very rarely come into the next thing. It's like, this happened, it's done, we're going on to this. This happened, and then you never mention it again. So everything has been kind of isolated until they're able to make it work. I really think it was Tony Khan who did the sell to him uh, initially saying, hey, you're not going to have to work with these guys. Because let's face it, hardcore fans know who, like diehard hardcore fans know who uh, the elite and Kenny Omega and everything is, but the more casual person, whether it be from beating his butt kick in the UFC, the pipe bomb promo, I dare say twice as many to three times as many are aware of who CM Punk is. So that's the kind of thing coming in where I just don't necessarily know that he ever would have, like, if maybe Cody Rose looking going, hey, out of respect, you know, for what Dusty did and whatnot, I just, I don't know, as far as, like, looking at and seeing what those guys did, I don't know if he ever would put the amount of service to be like, you know, hey, I'm proud of these guys. I, I just, I don't know, I just, I don't, and I'm not discrediting, you know, what they're, um, the elite have done. I'm just, you know, from an yeah. outsider's perspective, just based on everything that we know through just how CM Punk has always carried himself as, you know, in interviews and as a person. I just, you know, I just kind of see him as basically like, okay, cool, I don't care. It's kind of like, you know, when he got when he got his butt kicked at the UFC, right? Yeah. Got the crap kicked out of him, and he was like, this is a dream come true, and he gave this inspirational speech like he won, and then he find out, oh, you got paid like o- over a half a million dollars for this. Yeah, I'd be happy too. I'd go get my butt kicked for, for that for that amount of money, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think, see, I think CM Punk is uh, Phil Brooks, the businessman, comes, uh, uh, and at the end of the day, his number one brand is CM Punk over AEW, which is how we ended up with what we did at the, the media scrum, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's where what you're saying to me, and, and again, I'm I'm very disillusioned from where everything was a year ago because I, I was so happy when Punk came in, and it was just kind of like, this is a guy who's going to get a chance to leave behind, behind a, a better legacy and help this company out. It's the company that he said he always kind of wished existed there. And uh, it, it's one of those things, I, I mean, I can't, I, I'm, I'm like you and a lot of other people that watched that entrance on the first uh, rampage that he was on probably endlessly and felt great about it. And was I was even choked up about it watching it. And it's one of those things where to go from there to here, it's a little jarring to hear you talk about him potentially seeing Tony Khan as a money mark. But I, I don't think I, we can deny that at this point because 
what he did at the press scrum, where he went into business for himself, was so completely disrespectful to Tony Khan, just completely brushing him off, steamrolling him, half-heartedly trying to get the end. Emasculated. Emasculation to the 10th degree. Emasculation. I mean, I, I was showing it to friends of mine that don't follow wrestling, and I was like, if you can believe it, this is the owner of the company sitting here like he's in a hostage video. It's a thing where, and and for all the 2020 hindsight people that are like, why didn't Tony Khan just cut the mics right then? How well do you think that would have gone based on what happened later in the evening? Do you think CM Punk would have called me and been like, you're right, boss, my bad. It's not like he would have suddenly discovered this well of hidden respect that he had for him. He would have freaked out in public the same way he did in private, and he was already freaking out pretty bad in public. It's a thing where, to go into business for himself, he half-heartedly tries to get over the MJF thing, but by lumping him in with uh, Hangman Adam Page, who had nothing to do with this in storyline, and the amount of time that he spent on that after burying Hangman Adam Page publicly in that first promo, going into business for himself... That shows a complete lack of respect for Tony Khan. And you and I talked about this off-air, and you and I may have slightly different uh, visions here on what what Page did previously, but I'm just going to say, compared to all of the promos from MJF about, you're a phony, you're, you're a piece of crap, you're whatever, the fans don't know the real you, you know, you haven't changed, you're still the, the, the same a-hole you always were. Eddie Kingston, nobody wants you here. People know you're a phony uh, backstage. Uh, nobody likes you. Nobody wants you here. Hangman and Page, he was a little more stilted in what he said, but I wasn't reading the Cabana connection into it, even though I knew Cabana, Dark Order, there was probably a tie-in, but I wasn't putting it together on the surface. And it is a thing where I wondered a year ago when Punk came in. I was like, how is this going to work with him and Cabana in the same company? I mean, I'm not going to say I had any visions it would get this bad, but I wondered. But it's one of these things where, again, it went over my head, and you admitted that it even went over your head when Paige did it, because others had said worse about him. Except, in the case of, of Punk, this is a thing where, I guess, Paige was trying to send a message. He did directly. He sent the message on what he was saying. Punk got it, and that set the stage for what happened later. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing, yeah, I, as you said, I, and absolutely, I mean, I just thought it was a really weird, uh, t- twisted character that was going on with that, uh, page of the time. It didn't make any sense heading into what was supposed to be like this big baby face, baby face matchup. But, um, going to the, uh, whole Cole Cabana thing, okay. Yeah, we, we mentioned, you know, how are these two going to coexist? It's not like Colt Cabana was setting the world on fire in AEW before CM Punk got there. He didn't do anything. He wrestled, like, I think maybe five matches on TV, if that, and was pretty much just a, like, a background character in a faction so that he could have a job. And, I mean, nothing wrong with that. You know, good for good for him. You know, it's not bad work if you can get it. But it's not like he was in the midst of a main event push, and it's not like he was in the midst of anything. And... This is another thing that happened over the course of the past year that, you know, hadn't happened previously with AEW that the contract started to, to lapse. And people who, quite frankly, let's call a spade a spade, some people, you know, got friends of theirs jobs and people they had worked with because that's, you know, that's how it was started off. And in many ways, you know, it, I guess you could say, you know, that's how business works. But as those contracts started coming up, we, we saw Tony Khan had so slowly but surely starting to let people go. And then that is where, you know, the um, ex- 
explosions really happen where I guess it was said that CM Punk found out that one of the elite said that he was, you know, was trying to get Colt Cabana fired and all this other stuff. And his scathing promo, which I really was more directed at the journalists, the quote unquote journalists that were out there talking. He's like, Hey, is it you? And just basically like, fine, I'm going to get my side of the story. And, you know, that sounded more like it should have been one of those Sean Oliver, uh, kayfabe commentaries videos, as opposed to a media press scrum. And, you know, there's a time and a place to do things, and I did not think that was the time nor the place, especially, you know, going 100% into business for himself. But it's just like, you know, you got you, you look from the beginning of it with the whole thing with Cabana and everything, and it's just like, I don't know, I just have a feeling from day one, and the fact that, you know, we never saw CM Punk nor the Elite ever interact on the show. I have a feeling this tension has been there from day one, and it's taken everything from Tony Khan to keep, you know, what happened on Saturday from happening and what happened on at the uh, uh, all-out press conference and afterwards, after the fact, and finally everything just hit ahead. And I, it was there was so many different powder kegs that were in a situation that were in, confined in the same area. They had gotten to, it just got to a boiling point. And this was going to happen one way or another. You know, you just wish it'd be one of those things where, again, I mean, I mean, this is nothing new in, in wrestling and heck, MMA. I mean, I've done shows where people get into fights. Something happens in the locker room. Somebody says something. UFC just made money off of that. Somebody got into a fight and they put it on TV. <laughs> you know? Right. Made it, they just made it happen, made it a thing. So this has happened in the wrestling business before. Uh, the Bulldogs punching Jacques Rougeau. Wait, scratch it, reverse it. It was the Rougeau's who punched the Bulldog, right? Right. Yeah, uh, right. Dynamite and Kid took his teeth shot, out. Knocked out Dynamite Kid. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, stuff happens. There's, we've heard tales from from back in the day of, you know, when Bill uh, Bill Watts and two guys that didn't like each other, they'd be like, okay, you guys got a problem, you're going to fight right now, get out of your system, and you're going to go back and go work. Yeah. There is, there's so many to blame in this situation. It's not, it just, like I said, it's a powder keg because you've got CM Punk who's, uh, I, I, I don't blame him at the end of the day, you know, he, his brand is CM Punk, not AEW. You know, if CM Punk walked into Triple H and I want a job, he'd be like bending over backwards like, oh my God, this is great. You know, whoever yeah. he wants to take his brand and he's proven that. Tony Khan has, he needs an established, he, 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 <laughs> I hate to say it, he needs some grapefruit. In the words of the old uh, the old chairman, he needs to take a stand and be like, you know, listen, could, could you imagine if it was Vince McMahon sitting next to CM Punk and he did that? Oh, yeah. Well, Vince, Vince would have let him finish, but as soon as he finished, he'd have been finished. <laughs> Dude, here's the thing. Jericho said that later on. You basically said, I can't imagine stuff like this happening on Vince McMahon's watch. He said that right in front of Tony Khan when he was out there later, and... He's right about that. I mean, there is something to be said for uh, good old evil Vince uh, and all of his power games and stuff like that. Yeah, because at least nobody messes with him. He's the you know the the killer in the prison yard. But it's a- Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. Sorry to cut you off. No, Vince right. McMahon command, commanded respect. Goes all the way back from the eighties into the visions in the nineties, even even to the young guys of today. Maybe not as much as he did back then, but you know he had this presence that commanded a, a respect. Tony Khan doesn't come across like having that. He reminds me a lot more of an Eric Bischoff in WCW who was hanging out with his friends wearing jeans and a t-shirt and hanging out with the NWO and doing the two sweets. And we all saw where that ended up going and what the end goal of that was, you know, or the end result of that was. Right. I'm sorry. And I just don't, as a wrestling fan, 
I don't want to see that with AEW. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, I don't have all of the power to do what I'm doing. And putting someone in place, being Tony Khan, Tony Khan, putting somebody in place that can run that company. He doesn't, I'm pretty sure he isn't hands-on like this with the Jaguars or with his football team across right. overseas, you know. He has people in place that he's hired that are professionals that have experience of what they're doing. Wrestlers are, at the end of the day, let's, let's call a spade a spade. They're, they're workers, you know. They're, yeah. uh, they're actors. They're, they're, they're men in a way. Yeah. And whether it be, you know, caught in the working the crowd or working behind the scenes. It's but from day one, you know, we the stories of politics and wrestling are legendary. And I, I said, uh, CM Punk sees this money market take advantage of. Oh, there's pretty much anybody who's had a go around in the business and, and sees this right now. I they'll, they'll never admit this publicly, but. Until someone steps up and takes the reins, until they get their cowboy Bill Watts or whoever it happens to be, that's or their Vince McMahon, people are just going to see this as a, a, a chance to take advantage of guy and to get as much money as they can out of him. Because at the, I right. mean, it's, it's just the nature of the business, unfortunately. It's just how do you repair it from here? And I think there has to be some sort of changes at the top, like. From there's got to be a right hand man gets to Tony Khan. You go to him, whoever that happens to be. Yeah, somebody that is universally respected by everybody's involved. And dare I say, it is not the I, the EVPs. This is just my opinion. They got to go because it's too much of a situation where not leave the company, but I just mean remove the title based off of everything that happened and what has taken place, their part in it. You can't have executive vice presidents of a company going in and getting into a, getting wow. into a brawl with your top star. You can have other stars getting into a brawl with their top stars, but and that still not should never happen, but that looks so much better so much I guess better than if you have a, um, you know, three guys that have executive titles in front of their name, I mean, that just screams well, a lawsuit, does it not? Yeah, but here's the thing, and there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to start on the EVP thing because I'm going to disagree in, in somewhat of a qualified manner with what you said there. Because here's the thing: when you look at their primary duties, I think it just needs to be clarified what they're doing. Kenny Omega, if I am following this correctly, he's been primarily agenting the women's division and working on the video games with at least one of the Jackson brothers, because one of them is married to the woman who's handling the merchandising, because going back to the Young Bucks' whole success here on the indie circuit here, I think the Young Bucks are primarily more so on the business side, and then also, yes, agenting the tag teams. That's probably the closest you come to as far as your boss being somebody that you're interacting with. So it's a matter of, on this whole thing, I think if it's clarified that you're EVPs, but you're not EVPs over, you know, your fellow wrestlers. I think that's the way that you do it because I wouldn't take away their other duties. They're, they're by all accounts, they're good at their other duties, and they should keep doing them. And they're an asset to the company in that way. But just where it's clarified that EVPs are, are primarily related to the business side as opposed to warding power over the boys. In that way, I'd agree with you. But I, I, I think. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face if you're taking them out of the other things that they're doing that they're good at. Okay, I give you that. that that's absolutely fair. Just a, a clarification. And I would maybe you know, keep the j same jobs as the transition of titles. Sure. What, whatever. You don't have to even. Whatever. I mean, uh, would that not be a producer? 
Well, yeah, what and they're that's doing, the are thing. they essentially like you know, like it could even be like you know a senior producer or something. It's like it's semantics at this point. Sure, you know, whatever exactly. you want to call it. If they've got the talent, you know, if they're good at what they've been doing, right? You know, but at the same time, they're also have you also have to show as a leader that there are consequences for all actions that are involved. And how convenient is it for CM Punk that he got injured? <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. You know, didn't have to do the lost my smile speech, but. Uh, you know, you, you've got a couple things. Like I said, there was a lot to unpack with what you had there. One of the things I want to get to is about Tony Khan. I agree with you about the shortcomings at this time, but I, I find it endearing because it comes from something that even any of the even of the any of the weakness that's being perceived comes from an area that I respect. Because first of all, it is very very rare in life for people as high in station as Tony Khan is. Uh, again, billionaire family, to be as down-to-earth as he is. And he came into a situation where all-in happened without him. He was somebody where he was there in the crowd, but it happened. This movement started without him. And I've read the Young Bucks book, and they talked about that, that like his promises to them when trying to put together AEW was that it was going to be you know, for the boys, by the boys. You, you remember a lot of that talk at the time there. So I think he feels constricted by what that was. He's taken back the booking power from them to whatever degree. And I think there's still this sheepish sort of sense on his part, even after all this time, that he's the outsider. He's the money guy. He does now have a track record now of booking under his belt. couple times uh, Wrestling Observer Booker of the Year. Well-deserved, I would say. But I think he, he's coming at it from a place of humility, of these are the guys that started the movement and everything like that. I made promises to them at the time. I agree with you. I agree that he needs to retool. What's interesting is that somebody he's putting in his consigliere role, or seems to be elevating the consigliere, is somebody who is universally respected backstage. I don't know if he's feared enough in the role. We'll see. But Tony Schiavone, of all people, because he's basically everybody's favorite uncle, he seems to now be in the position of go-between. He's been kind of elevated in there. And I guess he figures that Tony, being the relaxed old guy, can you know help kind of put out fires and sit down, kid. Let's talk about this. Let's hear what's on your mind. We'll come up with an answer here. I don't know if that kind of approach is going to work or if he's going to need somebody who's more of a natural ass kicker. But it's a thing where, like I said, for, for all of the weaknesses in that area, and it's a thing where, and as somebody who roots for the product to be the best that it can be, I know they got to tighten up in the, that area. But I can't be mad at Tony for it because he's coming from a good place. He's trying not to give in to the whole thing. And like traditionally in this business, you've got to be a, a scumbag, greedy promoter to have any kind of success in wrestling. And I don't think I'm buying into his propaganda by saying that he's trying to do it a different way. But there comes a point in time when trying to do it a different way gets read excessively by people as weakness, and he has long passed that point based on the CM Punk press scrum. Yeah, and I actually agree with everything you just said. It is a, a nice um, change of pace. And, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, I, I truly believe that Tony Khan is genuine and is a, is a wrestling fan and did this because he is a wrestling fan. You know, you talked about how... You know, unfortunately, evident with you know how Punk, uh, what Punk did at the, uh, the the presser right there. There are people that will perceive that, that humility as that's the word I was looking for as yes. you know a sign of weakness, and it's up to him. And he has enough things. He has enough. I don't say things. He has enough people that are not working for the for the company that are that 
I that we have discussed that should be in more prominent roles within Tony Schiavone's area. William Regal is another one. Yeah. Some of like you know the most universally respected minds that are within the the pro wrestling business. I mean, Regal trained half the guys on the roster. Right. Had some sort of to something to do with the training of those guys. And that's also not to, to, to mention you know the your, your veterans like a Brian Danielson and you know um, a Kenny Omega who has worked around the world. You know, giving credit where credit is due. It, it just, all of the tools are right there. It's just a matter of, you know, putting everything together and realizing that this is not the same company that it was in 2019. And he mentioned in 2019, you know, he made the choice to take the reins from, uh, the, the booking reins from the, the elite after was, it was, was it an awful, like, where they threw phantom punches with the Dark Order? Yeah. At the end of an episode? It's... Okay, that's what I thought it was. Um, this is also, any booker, you know, it'll make you go absolutely crazy uh, it, over the course of time. You only do it one, one episode a week, plus building up the pay-per-views, then you got Rampage, and now you got to try to do Ring of Honor and all that stuff. What I'm saying is, utilize the tools Tony took the reins away uh, several years ago because he saw what was happening. It's not weakness to say, hey, you're really good at this. You have experience. I want you to do this. But at the same time, I get final approval of everything that goes on because it's my show. Because at the end of the day, the more and I, the more creative minds that you have that are involved in it, the better things are. Once, you know... That makes sense. It's like yeah. even Vince McMahon didn't have a, you know, he, unfortunately in the 90s, you know, we, we, we got what we got, but there were also, you know, there's some very good people that were feeding into that, into that, you know, right. um, Dusty back in the day, you know, he had notorious, he had JJ and listened to other people's ideas. There's, I just think, you know, take advantage of what you've got and also at the same time have somebody that is in place that CM Punk would have never made those comments with a William Regal sitting next to him. I no. guarantee you that. No. Or even a Tony Schiavone, for that matter. He only did it because he's like, what are you going to do? You need me. Yeah, The exactly. only reason why he did it, basically, his Dillagaff meter was at zero at that point. And was just done. And was just like, I'm going to say what I think to you. He was ticked off at the journals for posting something that was said about him that he didn't do and went into business for himself. And it's like, two wrongs do not make a right. In no, they don't. No situ- in no situation do, do two wrongs make a right. And besides, you already got your come in, come up when you came back from injury and your first thing was going off on Hangman Adam Page on TV. Yeah. That had nothing to do with what was happening. Yeah. That should have been the end of that dead and done and buried. But, you know, uh, Mr. Pipebomb delivers one more time and it's just, man, again, how do you come back from something like this? How do you, how do you get everybody to sit down, shake hands and go, okay, let's all work together work together on this i i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we never saw cm punk back in aw i i, think, I really would be i think that's a way better than 50 50 proposition that being said and this is funny that the night of all out so i ended up not uh, being able to uh watch it uh, as i was hoping uh a because of my uh, fantasy football draft and then b my brother was in town that weekend we went down with my dad to the notre dame ohio state game so it just didn't work out for ordering the pay-per-view, whatever. So I decided I wasn't going to stay up and keep reading results long enough. I'll just get up in the morning. So I give a free plug here to Cage Side Seats. I get up in the morning, look on there as I do several times a day usually, because uh, they're, they're a good sort of culmination point for whatever's going on in the biz. 
And I'm, because I, I had no idea how they were going to end the main event. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of intrigue to it after the Cleveland squash of Punk. And then I'm reading in there, like, you know, the headline was something like, CM Punk wins title, goes off on the Elite at press scrum. And I was like, oh my God, they tied the Elite into it, but they were in a completely different storyline. How did this happen? <laughs> and then I read the article and I was like, oh, oh, this was Punk doing it. Okay. So, and then I was just, I fell down the rabbit hole that day, as everybody did, of chasing the tales on what happened, you know, and it was just absolutely incredible. 